See, I'm already starting off poorly because I, I forgot to change the title uh, on, on, on Twitch. Hello and welcome to the Captain's Table, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Paul Bazirkaro, one Batman Shelley, your humble host and space bartender at the Astro Pub, and uh, your moderator here at the Captain's Table. What is the Captain's Table, you may ask? Well, it is a show where I bring people from all over the Star Citizen universe to talk about Star Citizen. Uh, Today is a uh, an interesting show. It's going to be a more technical show, so I'm going to probably shut my mouth a lot because I don't know half as much as these two gentlemen do. So, uh, and uh, both of which are extremely smart and technical-minded more than I am. But it probably won't just be a technical show. We'll probably talk a little bit more about other things as well, just because if we sat here and talked about server meshing for an hour, we're not Tony Z, so we, we don't quite... We, we don't want not quite captivate you as much, I'm sure. Uh, but with that being said, let's start off with Space Coder. Space Coder, who are you? What do you do in Star Citizen? And where can they find you? Uh, hi, guys. I'm the Space Coder, or uh, Quartermaster General, as Paul likes to call me sometimes. Uh, I am mostly known in the Star Citizen community for the Star Citizen Armory, which is a tool where you can uh, preview gear, weapons, and equipment, and find where to buy it, what stats it has, and sometimes even what, what it looks like. Uh, we now have pictures. Uh, and I also do YouTube videos where I do all sorts of, uh, I would say, theory crafting, technical stuff, based on my experience as a Star Citizen backer for many, many years, and some knowledge that I've gained from the Armory, and so on and so forth. And I, and I guess that's that. And where you can find me, you can find me everywhere as the Space Coder, except Twitter, where I am the Space Coder 1, because the Space Coder was taken. And uh, if you would look in the chat on Twitch, that's the Armory. Go use the Armory. It's going to save you a lot of time. I'll put, make sure to have it in the, the description as well for those of you watching this after the fact on YouTube. Um, yeah, you. especially if you like FPS stuff, it saves you a lot of time. Have you, have you updated it for 317 yet? Yes, we have okay. a P2 toggle for 317. Sweet. I, I think. I think I turned it on. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I uh, turned it on. Okay. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, now, next we'll have, and it's a new, newer face, but I'm sure many of you already know uh, or at least heard the voice. Um, Mr. Ray's guy. I think this is the first time anyone's seen my face on the, okay. on the, uh, on the uh, internet. On the internet. Uh, um, my name is Daniel Raymond. I'm uh, the voice behind Ray's guy. And I've had a pretty varied career. I have a degree in architecture and then spent uh, most of my uh, professional career uh, in computer applications in relation to uh, architecture and facility management. Uh, I've kind of segued out of that part of career and been doing other things. And essentially, um, I did a little stint in college radio, um, in broadcasting, did a... Um, and then as a, a Corona project is what I termed them. I had a few Corona projects. I built this sound booth. And then the next thing comes after that is, what are you going to do with your sound booth? And so I decided that I would start uh, creating YouTube videos. And the idea behind them was that I thought there was a need for um, entertaining guides to this big universe. And so I came up with the idea of creating character and doing in-character, in-game uh, guides. And so I created Ray. Ray's kind of a space bubba, and he, uh, I originally did Ray with a little bit too much uh, full boom hollow on him. He was a little bit difficult to understand, but then <laughs> I was able to tone him down a little bit, and uh, he's been a popular character in the verse uh, with his adventures and misadventures and insights into the universe. And that, then they're fun to do, but I also found that um, there was considerable also interest in, for lack of a better term, technical explainers. 
kind of trying to be the, the Bill Nye the science guy of um, explaining things like, you know, server meshing and um, quantum and uh, et cetera, and, and offering my own opinions on that. And those have actually proven to be also very popular. And so, at least for the moment, um, I'm focusing on YouTube. Uh, and you can simply find it there as Ray's Guide. I also have a YouTube membership, um, Ray's Crew. And um, the, the, uh, I've been very heartened by the, um, the response. This was actually one of two Corona projects. The other one just uh, completely fell flat. But I may be doing other projects as well. I mean, you're, you're, you're smart. You, you turned into a Corona project into something that could like, you know, make you money. I, I ended up, my Corona project ended up being Warhammer miniatures. So, um, I just spent, I spent too much money. That's, that's all I did for my Corona project. <laughs> well, my, my, my other big Corona projects were building some furniture, mm -hmm. um, which I, I have in my house, you know, architects love to build furniture when they can't build a building. Um, and the other Corona project was, uh, a patio cover with solar panels. And um, I can guess I can say that one paid off as well. I got a bit of sticker shock when I saw my last month's electric bill. Mm -hmm. It was negative $45. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> Whole my different kind of sticker shock. Was, uh, getting my master's degree. And, uh, well, that's a pretty good corona project, too. As, as everybody can tell, it's biting me in the ass right now. <laughs> uh, lots, it's like, wait, we have to go to school in person now? <laughs> that's not what i signed up for <laughs> awesome well let's talk we started with it with the, the the discussion uh the discussion portion uh as both of these gentlemen um uh, well before i say anything else right you and morphologists need to get together and talk architecture I, i'd love to hear y'all just talk about architecture for, for for like an hour or so um that would be fun yeah awesome yeah, I'll I'll reach out. I'll see if I can get 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 him to talk. Uh, <laughs> um, so let's talk a, a little bit about uh, server meshing, uh, just in general, because okay. it's it's a topic that's been coming up because CIG has been saying for the last several weeks, about a month or so, they've been talking about the road to Pyro. They've been talking about like the last monthly reports said, you know, in, insinuated that that Pyro is planned for the end of the year, and as everyone knows. Pyro means server meshing. So the, the the first question that I'd have on a more technical side of things for both of y'all, starting with you, Ray, is what do you think is left for uh, server meshing to, like, what's left? What are the steps left for server meshing to be a thing, to, for them to even start adding it into the verse? Well, that depends on your definition of server meshing. Um much like everything else, uh, server meshing has, for lack of a better term, what you might call tiers. Uh, the tier zero server meshing is a static mesh with a very coarse grain. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, this coarsest grain would be one server uh, for Stanton and one server for Pyro. Mm -hmm. And technically, that would be all they would need. Um, and actually, technically, they wouldn't really have to ha do that in order for Pyro. It's just that the universe would still be, would become even more sparse. Mm -hmm. And also, one server for Stanton and one server for Pyro isn't going to let them test very much because uh, whenever 4.0 hits, what percentage of the players are going to rush through the jump tunnel to Pyro? I think it would be very safe to say something approaching 100% of them 
are going to yeah. go check out Pyro. And so you would have a Pyro server and a completely empty Stanton server. So they're going to, so in order to really be able to test a coarse mesh server, they're going to have to go a little bit, a um, little bit court, less coarse than that. So they will probably be one server per planet will be the coarsest mesh that they would actually use for testing. Although technically they could release Pyro without it, but they just, they just don't want the universe to feel that sparse. It already, it already feels pretty sparse with, you know, one server for Stanton. And mostly what they need to do to get that is to have the replication layer be able to hand off between separate authoritative uh, game servers, in, in this case, one per planet. Now, we don't know exactly what they're testing for 3.17, but they've obviously put in something in 3.17, starting about L, uh, that broke everything, mm -hmm. but had to do with, with object streaming, how things were streamed to your com computer. Now, the safe thing to guess, I want to emphasize guess, is that what they put in was moving responsibility for streaming items to your server and to your client being from the replication layer, which is a collection of services. If that is, in fact, what they've got running now in 3.17, the main thing they have to work on is having separate servers for different planets and in having the handoff between them, having this, the, the replication layer say, okay, now you have authority for this person versus someone else. But because, at least at the very coarse tier one server meshing, you've got this very long quantum travel period mm -hmm. to accomplish the handoff. It, they don't have to have a really snap second uh, performance out of it like they will when serving when passing you off from one server to another will happen during a hallway from one room to the next. Uh, so uh, that's the main thing they need to do in order to have a very coarse uh, static server meshing ready. And um, it's both a big thing and just one thing, really. Okay, so so you're you're saying that it's it's like the handoff is the last thing that seems to like that needs to happen is the ability to be, for the servers to be able to talk with one another for for the principal yeah. to say you you now you're in charge of them now you're there in charge of them kind of thing right because both the servers are receiving the information about you from the replication layer, mm -hmm. um so it's like you had um. You had a pen and paper game. And at one table is the dungeon master handling the town. Mm -hmm. And the other table is the dungeon master handling the dungeon. Mm -hmm. And there's this area of wilderness in between. And the replication layer is like the, the master dungeon master who tells some things to the people at the, t at the one table and some things to the people at the other table. And then suddenly some guy gets on his horse and he's traveling across the countryside. And the replication layer is saying, okay, it's telling both the people at both tables about this guy running across the countryside. And then at some point in time, it says, okay, you there at the dungeon, you're now in, you're, you are now the authoritative person for this guy running across the countryside. And that's basically what is going to be happening with server meshing. The replication layer is going to start telling both, um, say you were going from, uh, Hearst and Arcorp. So we're telling both the Hurston server and the Arcorp server about you traveling through in Quantum Drive. And at some point, it's going to say, "Okay, Arcorp server, you're the you're the person I'm listening to about this this ship." And that's really how uh, 
how it, you can have this handoff occurring very quickly is because both servers already know everything about you. Okay. It's simply a handoff of which one the replication is now going to be listening to about you. And, and that was what server-side OCS was for, right? Server-side object container streaming was the idea of it being streaming in and out information from the, these servers directly to, to the backend. Well, server-side OCS was more about if nobody of the 50 people on my server is visiting, say, um, some moon or a particular outpost, I don't have to keep that information about that moon or that outpost in mm -hmm. my memory. It can stream it out. I can just sort of... I can I can forget about it. It's like okay. uh, one thing I said in my video is like a tree falls in the forest, and if there's nobody on your server, does, does your server need to care about it? And the answer mm -hmm. is really they really don't. And so that's what server side object container streaming was. It was just culling out all the things that your server didn't need to pay attention to because nobody that it was taking care of was there. Okay. All right. I think I'm I think I'm following along. Ape brains <laughs> getting getting some of it. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to take this very complicated, complicated piece of technology what did and I say put about it in foil hats. And just, just kind of to, to lay this out there for anybody who's watching this who, who's, who may be a little confused, it's also important to remember that all of the stuff he just talked about is probably dozens, if not hundreds, of different services and processes that are happening at the same time from different tools and other things that are going on. So there's nothing that's like right. there's no, no Lego block that says server meshing, and they just stick it into the to the to the servers and be like, "You're done right. now." You know, um, the the, re the replication layer on its own consists of dozens of services, mm -hmm. and there are probably dozens of services involved with um, even your game server. It's just we 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 tend to lump them all together because they're doing one sort of thing, but the the character of of modern programming is you. Uh, pretty much do things in small pieces and implement those small pieces as services. Yeah. That, that makes it a lot more modular. All right. Uh, Space Coder, your thoughts on, on, on uh, what is left for server meshing? What I think you already covered it excellently, but uh, what I would add is in addition to the code or the functionality that's going to transfer authority between authority over entities between different servers, I think they also need to figure out a lot of issues regarding uh, persistent states of entities. I, I know that they have this implemented to a certain extent with the entity graph and everything, but there are some issues that are going to be arising once we have larger shards, shards that have multiple simulation servers uh, where the actual game world is being simulated, whether that's going to be a static or dynamic mesh, it doesn't matter. But let's assume that there's going to be a period of time where we're going to have shards that have X number of simulation servers happening at one point. But we're still going to have a Y number of shards that are going to simulate the same universe. So we're going to have, you know, whatever number of instances of Stanton and Pyro and whatever systems. So the question is how we're going to decide who goes into which shard and how we're going to maintain persistent state of entities and players between shards. So, so you, I'm not to cut it in here, but that sounds like the the matchmaking service that they talked about. Yes. Yeah. Well, but the matchmaking service is responsible for the who goes where. Yeah. And that you're going to be with your friends. And I 
don't understand how exactly they meant that because that would the dependency graph on trying to get friends of friends of friends into one server is is horrifying uh quite frankly but what i'm more concerned about is kind of maintaining the long-term persistence between different shards so like if i do something with my ship in one shard then let's say that shard stops existing because no one's going to be playing on it for a while so then i'm going to if I log back in, am I gonna? Is it gonna spin back up that original shard because that shard has my persistent state, or is my persistent state going to transfer to a different shard? Now the question is, if the transfer is going to be happening, how that how is that going to happen? Because their CAG by creating this these tiers of server meshing, like Ray, Ray said, uh, they're creating more hurdles for themselves to to solve before the before we get to the actual server meshing, and then obviously. I'm pretty sure we're missing a bunch of other services on the way to actual server meshing. Like we know we have some sort of replication layer in place right now. We know how we have the simulation. So we know that air traffic control is going to be its own service. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if that's 317 or if that's going to be pushed. I think it's going to get pushed because they, it, it was on the roadmap. Now it's not on the roadmap anymore. Uh, we know we now have quantum being implemented in some limited sense into, into store citizen. That's a separate service. Quantum is a separate service. It's actually multiple services. It's a service that runs the invisible simulation, and it also is the service that runs the virtual AI, and then it's the service that runs the AI that you actually meet. Uh, and we have some of these, and some of these are still missing some features. And then we also have, I don't know if it was the Tony Z video or if it was the CitizenCon panel, they were talking about having a, I don't remember what they called it, but they were talking about having a, routing layer between all of this that's going to decide where what goes at what point. And I don't think they have that implemented yet, at least from what I understood from that video. So that's another thing they're missing. And then I think they're also going to hit some issues that we're not seeing yet on the road to actual server meshing. And I think that about covers my completely unorganized concerns about the whole issue. So what I'm gathering is is that you're you're the the like one of the concerns you're having is is in terms of like how is CIG going to handle persistence between shards? Yes. So and the question is like if something happens in one shard, like let's say if a tree falls in one shard, is that change going to propagate to the other shards, or are shards going to be independent the same way servers are independent right now? Because you know if you put a box in a building in an outpost currently in Star Citizen, it's going to stay there for as long as that server is alive. Mm -hmm. Once that server gets destroyed, uh, it's no longer there. It's now going to propagate to other servers. So are shards going to behave the same way or un until it's all just one shard, obviously? Uh, or are there going to be independent instances of Star Citizen like we have now? I mean, I know, I know the, the plan is that they're going to have some sort of fluid idea between them. But I guess the question is also, when will that happen? When will they be able to yes. um, figure I out? I mean, when is the big question of Star Citizen? Yes. So, so <laughs> but the question is more, is that going to happen at server meshing tier zero, you know, when, they're when they first implement that into the game? I don't think so. I, or, I think the first yeah. iteration of server meshing is going to be more about getting more people into one shard so that the universe is more, more alive. Because right now, you know, 50 players per server, 
you don't really meet a whole lot of other people unless you go to to the cities or to the stations or you go to a well-traveled outpost or there's an event going on that's forcing people into one spot. So I think what they're going to be trying to do is improve performance and make sure we can have more people in one shard. And then they can go on and do pyro. They can do other systems. Because you know if you have Stanton and pyro and you have 50 people in a server, I... You know, once that once that initial push into Pyro normalizes, you're, you're going to have, you know, either kind of a normal distribution of people, or you're going to have more people one in one or the other. But no one's really going to be meeting any other people. So, so I think first they would have to actually raise the player cap significantly, possibly into hundreds, to actually make it seem like a living universe. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, well, I guess that'll go into the second another question I'm going to add in for both of you, both of y'all for this one. Um, do you think this first implementation of server meshing is going to increase the player cap? And if so, do you think it, what, what is your expectation uh, in terms? My of expectation players? is so, you will probably be having 50 player shards, okay. at least at the start. When they launch 4.0, you will have probably 50 player shards because. They're going to be predicting that everyone's going to go to Pyro and everyone's going to go up to Rune Station. And, and until they are sure that they can handle, you know, and until they can get people to spread out more across more of the servers, uh, to really increase the player count, you've got to have the ability to do a dynamic mesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, because without that, you've got to set your, your, your shard count based on the idea that everybody's going to be going to one server. So let's say everybody's going to be going to, say, Lorville. If Lorville is one server, that's going to be, and you don't have any ability to further subdivide it, that's going to be the thing that limits you. Yeah. Now, when you get to a dynamic server mesh, they can suddenly take Lorville and divide it into five zones. And then if everyone decides to go to the CBD at Lorville, you can take the CBD and divide it into three or four zones. When you can do that, at uh, on the fly now so, you've got I don't something think that's necessarily you true. can where well, you can trust it to have a larger shard good i yeah, think you know splitting zones it, i don't think they can do it that dynamically i think it's still bound to object containers so assuming they at creation create small object containers because object containers can be nested into each other you can actually if you look in the game files you can actually see what object containers look like and what's inside of them Fun fact. <laughs> uh, so, and I think the actual server meshing, like one server can operate an object container and its subcontainers. So, I don't think they can, you know, split things into rooms un- unless, you know, make a room a server, unless that room is its own object container. And some rooms are actually their own object containers, but most are not. Like, out- I think outposts are object containers, the moons are object containers. Lorville is two object containers, I think, roughly. So that's, I don't think they're ever going to get to that point where they're going to be making subsections of object containers because I don't think they can stream, you know, separate parts of object containers in and out of the server. They can unrender them on the client. That's a pretty common thing with games. But I don't think they can just stream them out of the server. I think it's it still needs to be on that object container level. But that's you, only think- my assumption. Do you think they they might add more object containers? So, like for instance, with Lorville, there's there's really three places in Lorville, or well, I guess more than places. You've got 
the landing zone, you've got the like kind of the habitary area, and then you, the habitation area, and then you've got the uh, central business district, and then of course you also have the the the, the gates on each side. Six gates. Yeah, yeah. It's I, I don't think they can know they if they will do it, but I know that they can do it. They can if, do it if, if they wanted to. Yeah, if they like, if they realize like, oh, okay, you know, we have, let's say, we have a thousand players per server, in in this hypothetical scenario, and mm-hmm. let's say a lot of these players are congregating in the central business district in Lowerville for trading, uh, and it's lowering performance because we have to simulate the entirety of Lowerville because it's an object container. So okay, let's make central business district its own container. Let's make the Habs their own container. Let's make the spaceport their own container. And now those things can be their own servers, and that's going to improve performance. And I think they could subdivide even further but that would just i think bring more issues because the more containers you have the more transfer of authority you have to do and the more communication there has to be so like let's say you have a you know the station in the cbd is is one container and then the actual building is another container and you have you know dozens of players running back and forth you know every minute just doing their trading trying to get on and off trains you know that's, you know that threshold is is going to be problematic. I think, uh, unless you know they find a way to make that transfer of authority extremely fast and efficient. I, I have no doubt they could do that, but uh, you can't beat light speed though. So yeah. that's that's going to be the upper upper limit. So I think. I think you know they have to create the object container splits in places where you're not going to notice it as much. Like you said. There's a lot of quantum or, you know, there's a train ride. You're, you're mm-hmm. not going to see a little bit of desync when you're in a train because you're probably tabbed out l- looking at Reddit. Let's be honest. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, right. I went off something? on a tangent there. But, but the, the goal, if I understand what CIG is trying to create, is that let's say we're talking about, you know, Lowerville CBD. Mm-hmm. You might have one server that's handling the, uh, the main lobby and another server that's handling the uh the, what was it trades and transfers um now even if those are both part of the same uh object container you have two servers both being served from the replication layer that whole same object so if i'm the uh, uh the server handling the transfers area i i know about the geometry of the um the lobby, but that's not doesn't put a lot of strain on on me as a server. But when, but with server meshing, they might say you don't have to know about the people that are in the lobby. You don't have to know about what the people in the lobby are doing. But as soon as one of those people say start to go up the stairs and down the hallway, then the replication layer would say, okay, you people over there transfers. Now you need to know about this person that's now in the hallway. And then somewhere during that time that you're walking through the hallway. They'll say, okay, transfer server, you're now the authority for that person I've been telling you about. That is my understanding of how it's going to be working. And so it's not like you're going to be seeing a blip because the replication has also been, layers also been telling you about your movement through the hallway. So what's going on is just behind the scenes that one little binary that says, you are now the authoritative server. And I'm hoping if they get the performance going right, that that can happen within one server tick. Okay. Wow. That's pretty fast. That's that's like a millisecond usually, right? right? About? That, that's, yes. that's wishful thinking. Yeah. But that's why that's why one of the fundamental things I said in my video 
is that you're that a shard is always going to be limited to one Amazon data center. Yeah. Because yeah. the communication between the entity graph database, the replication layer, and the dedicated game servers, there's just tons of information and lag has to be sub-millisecond. Yeah. If lag gets to be more than sub-millisecond, you're going to have problems. But that's yeah. why I, I'm thinking it can happen because the two machines are literally uh, next in the same room. Yeah. They're literally next to each other. So you have sub-millisecond pings. And that's what you're going to have to have to get any two processes work that quickly, that smoothly, that often. And yeah, that's so, actually well, a good point on having these microservices. It's great because you have smaller code base. It actually did it to the Armory not so long ago, where it's a bunch of small, small services now. And it's lightning fast. But the problem is once you're trying to kind of mush all the data and all the functionality into one kind of user-facing endpoint, let's call it, where starts as a user-facing endpoint, you're going to be encountering synchronization issues, especially if you need data from multiple services at once. And in most cases in commercial application, it's not going to matter that much. But in, in a game where you need real-time information and you need it right now and you need it always, it's going to be a problem. And I think Ray is correct in saying that all these services for one shard will have to be in the same physical building, which and shouldn't be a problem for Amazon to do. However, okay. it might be interesting to set up. Star, Star Citizen is a blip, is barely a blip on Amazon Web Services radar. Yeah. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, it runs so much the computing power of the internet right now. But what it does mean is that the people that are hoping that there will be a single global shard and that you're somehow going to be able to take something like the replication layer and spread it around servers all around the world, and you're going to be able to have within the same shard um, dynamic game servers spread all around the world. You're going to be able to have the entity graph database in real time spread around the world. You're just not going to be able to do that. Because those those three those three main components of a shard have to be talking to each other at sub millisecond pings latencies. Space Coder, your thoughts? Do you think we're going to see more than fifty people per server though uh, in this first iteration? Uh, I think I'm going to have to agree with Ray. Uh, we're probably not not in the first iteration, but I think very closely after because that first iteration of server meshing is what will allow us to have more players. But we will have to see whether that's going to perform well, how our players going to behave, more importantly. Like, you know, if everybody's just going to fly on over to Pyro or it's going to be in Stanton, there's no point. Mm -hmm. Because just one of those servers is going to be unloaded permanently, pretty much. Uh, but, you know, once things kind of normalize and people, you know, start going on about their normal lives, I think then we can start seeing, you know, an increase in, in player caps. Okay. Right. But, yeah. I agree. And and uh, in, in my last video on server meshing, I, I didn't even talk about the network part of it at all and said the other challenge of server meshing is going to be that, that CIG is going to have to change their attitude from how do we get all get people together for events to how do we spread them out? Yeah. How do we get them spread out all around Lorville? Get them spread out all around uh, standard, get them spread out all around pyro so that the dynamic mesh or even a static mesh could work. 
So typical example is that right now, if someone wants to do trading at Lorville, they have to come to one room. Mm-hmm. And that's and, and once you start having larger server accounts, that's the last thing you want to do. You want to give them lots of different places around Lorville, maybe even just in their hangar where they can do trading. So they don't have to all come mush mashing into this one room. Uh, you know, I just realized that the new derelicts and looting and stuff might actually be kind of a you know a prelude that. to spreading people out. And and like if you're gonna have an event like um Jump Town, which I suspect once they have pyro running, running Jump Town feels more like a pyro event than a stand mm-hmm. event in the first place. Um, you're not just going to try to be sending everyone to one drug lab. That's that's an invitation to a disaster on a on a thousand player server on Shard. No, you're going to have drug labs all over the place, and based on some sort of a algorithm, you'd say, okay, you are told to go to this drug lab, you're told to this drug lab, you're told to this drug lab, and you can have the same event, but you're not trying to send a thousand people to one drug lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and for clarification, I mean, people are still going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> they, they will do it just to mess with the server. And so there's going to be a user education factor to this as well. And that CIG mm-hmm. is going to have to be honest and say, if you try to bring more than, you know, 75, 80 people to one location, your client is going to drag. Mm-hmm. And we can't do anything about that as a server. If you bring, 80 you know, ships to one location, your client, not the servers, your client is going to drag. I, I think this is the point where I remind everyone that when medguns came out, there were people all over the place drugging people to death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think this is, a, this is a good point in time to, to make that point. <laughs> so Never <laughs> underestimate the mischievousness of players. <laughs> um, so, so this brings me to another point. Do, you, do either of you and I'll, I guess we can start with the with space code on this one. Um, do either of you believe that we're going to see uh, stacked layers or like servers? So like when you have that 50 players per server and then the 51st person walks in and you have a static server, that suddenly they just step into a room which is supposed to be full and they're empty. So they just kind of spun up a new one and put it on top of it like that. Because I know they've talked about that in the past. Do you think they would try something like that? Or they, I know they talked about it in the past. Mm-hmm. But in the CitizenCon demo, and then I think there was a question asked on Spectrum where they didn't directly say no, but they implied that that's not what they want to do. That but the question is, but the question is, if that's not what they want to do, what are they going to do? Because that's, to my knowledge, that's kind of the industry standard mm-hmm. for doing this kind of thing. So, you know, it, it's a maybe. I'm, I'm going to go with a maybe on this one. Because okay. I, I can't think of another solution, but they have also implied that they don't want to do that. Yeah. I, I would suggest it only as a last case, uh, last ditch effort, because it creates yeah. so many persistence and, and internal consistency problems. Yep. Now, there might be occasions where that would work. Um, one of them that comes to mind is Clusher Prison. Mm. You could have, you know... 50 different cell blocks of Clusher Prison, and they just look all the same, but they're different cell blocks. And so the cell block you're put into in Clusher Prison could be a matter of layering. But that would be only something like that as as an exception. And uh, that would work. But you you have to really think that it's going to be the exception rather than the rule. The rule. 
Um, so based off of what I've heard, or you're, you're saying what I've, what I've heard for CIG, and this is just kind of last thing before we move on from uh, from this topic to the last, the next topic, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap up with some non-server meshing stuff, which is, um, which is, uh, from what I'm gathering is it's we should be expecting both of y'all should are expecting that server meshing when it first comes in will likely be max cap of per server basis. So, for instance, if they have a mesh of say each planet in Stanton system, so there are four servers or five servers, one for the the universe and then one for each of the planets of the Stanton system, um, that each of those servers will have a Mac can hold a maximum of 50 people. So that shard that holds that mesh will be a maximum of 50 people in that shard. Is that right? It's in the nature of CIG to start small and then slowly yeah. inch the numbers okay. up. And that's what they're going to do. Okay. And they're going to, it's not just going to be the ser- the player cap. It's going to be the number of servers in the mesh. They actually said it in the Citizen Con demo that, uh, you know, they have to optimize cost. Mm-hmm. Because servers cost money. CIG is a huge corporation and they make yeah. a shit ton of money selling JPEGs. But servers cost money. So they're going to try to find the sweet spot between mm-hmm. performance versus number of servers versus number of players. And I think they're going to experiment with this. I think they're going to try and make it in a way where the number of players and number of servers is going to be something very easily customized within the settings of, of the whole shard. But yeah, I think initially we're going to see probably something like, oh, okay, it's a mesh of two or three servers and you can have 50 people in here. Okay. Yeah. They, they might have an intermediate step where they have a manual dynamic mesh. Whereas, you know, they can split a server and they can combine a, ma- a server, but they'll have to have someone there 24-7 managing it. But that, I can only see them doing that for a very short period of time. Uh, now, to, to clarify, I, I think some people might misunderstand the, the previous statement. We're talking about virtual servers here, not yes. physical boxes. Yes. <laughs> but, they, but, but even those do cost money uh, to have Amazon have one spun up, even if uh, it isn't doing anything. Yes, um, which is why so, dynamic so, is know. so important because the dynamic they can spin down servers if they're not using. It. If no one's in, if no one cares about that tree that fell, they can spin down that server that was holding that tree, and they just don't have to pay for it anymore, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the typical way you would program is you actually have like a a bench of mm-hmm. servers, you know, and you say, yeah, "Get up, get in the game," or um, you know, "Get out of the game," uh, yeah. and then so they have a small pool because because that's always uh, quicker than spooling up a copy of DOS in a virtual server yeah. right from zero. So you'll have a bench of, of idle servers. Okay. All right, let's move on to the, the, the last topic of server meshing, and then we'll move on to some more quantum discussion and, and, and other things like that. So Yeah, we um, have already put everyone to sleep. <laughs> I, I think chat's very, very, I'm, I'm very, I'm very intrigued. I'm, I'm, I'm learning things. I'm, I'm, I'm processing things that I've learned. And uh, here Yeah, we're teaching a historian how to do tech. <laughs> for, for me a tech is is uh is this is this a flint arrowhead or is this a is a bronze arrowhead that's the that's the question for me you know well, I, i've i've been around in tech long enough i feel like both a tech guy and a historian <laughs> I, I, I sometimes joke with folks that i'm i'm the rosetta stone of dead computer languages uh <laughs> hey someone's right, here's gonna... how you did that in fortran 
you're, you're gonna there's gonna something's gonna happen like 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 the, that the only thing that can save humanity from an oncoming disaster is someone who knows a computer language that was coded in the 70s someone um, can actually still decode a line of apl code, yeah <laughs> <laughs> and they're gonna call you up and it'd be, it'd be, it'd just be like hey we need you right now we have no idea what we're looking at <laughs> we're, we're sending a helicopter <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, you know, actually, this is the reason I have been considering learning an old programming language. Yeah. Well, I mean, Just because I th- someone's going to have to fix all the banking software eventually. Uh, well, it's something like IR- yeah. the IRS, I think, still uses like a bunch of. Um, uh, no, I'm sure there's legacy COBOL in yeah. the IRS like, and, oh, and in most banks. They, they, I think they use uh, mainframe computers still uh, for the IRS. Well, yeah. still. So, uh, I mean, like, like old, old style, uh, you know, eighties, maybe early nineties sort of, sort of, uh, technology and, uh, coding or uh, software. So, well, uh, in about three months, I'm going to be working for a banking corporation. So just ask me in three months on on how things are. (laughs) (laughs) They won't be asking you to do the COBOL. They've got some old guy that they're, they're hoping to never retire doing the COBOL. Probably. Uh, but yeah, I, I have sold my soul. Officially, <laughs> like I'm sorry, uh, they found me through the armory. Like, I, yeah, they, they the, got me. Hey. There we go. Um, all right. So the, the next question is pretty pretty short. I think for the for the answer, so start with you, Ray. On this one, do you think that server meshing still has a shot releasing this year? Static with a very coarse grid, it's definitely possible. So you're not you're not like like yes it's going to happen it's more of a you know here's the thing um, and this is what a lot of people didn't understand about the old roadmap there the, something got on the roadmap because it, it had a seventy percent chance of completion mm-hmm. but if this requires this which requires this which requires you know three things all requiring each other and all of them have a seventy five percent have a seventy percent chance of succeeding their actual chance of making it across the finish line is less than, it's about 30%. All right. And so the reason why I'm not really positive is as I understand that there's lots of cross dependencies and it really only takes one of them to hold the whole thing back from the from the finish line. So, so we're talking about the bus problem, but instead of the bus problem being with people, it's the bus problem being with, uh, with technology, you know, if one, 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 uh, one step along the path gets hit by a bus and suddenly, you know, you're, you're, you're out. You have to figure out how to go along without it, you know? Right. Or if the bus can't leave until all six people are on board and yeah. only five of them are on board, the bus isn't leaving. All right. Uh, Space Coder, your thoughts. Do you think we're, uh, that it's, it's a chance that it's going to happen this year or not? I, yes, I'm going to have to agree with Ray. It's, it's certainly possible. Like in the, infinite entropy of the world it is absolutely <laughs> possible that server meshing is going to happen this year would you would you let me do it this way would you bet on it at this point ah uh, probably not no. <laughs> never bet on tech, never bet on tech. <laughs> it's this is a and this is a callback to my delays explained video mm-hmm. star citizen is a dependency nightmare there everything depends on everything the teams are all over the place and they are all working on multiple things. There is no way to resource plan this. It, it, CIG may be pretending that, oh, we have planning meetings at the start of every quarter. Sure, you can have planning meetings, but you're never going to figure out what's going to happen when. So 
and, and you know if one person is not on the bus the bus is not leaving and that's i think that's what's gonna happen like it's gonna be they're gonna be like 90 percent done they're gonna have everything in place except one or two things that are just gonna get delayed by something and that's and gonna I, roll over into the next quarter and now you're kind of chasing that delay on top of the things that were supposed to get done that quarter and, and I, we're already pushing a boulder in front of us of things that were not done in the previous X number of quarters. Mm-hmm. Good, right? And I think that's what's actually behind all the changes in the roadmap. Yeah. Is that they didn't want to be disappointing people about when, when uh, 4.0 is going to come out. And so what's going to happen is we're going to continue to see, like we did with 3.17, um, releases that start small and then grow at the end versus mm-hmm. our usual pattern, which was to see releases start large and then keep shrinking to our disappointment. Yeah. Um, but what's going to happen is it's some uh, release, whether it's 3.19, 3.20, the, the sixth person is going to get on the bus. Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have, hello, welcome to our weekly roadmap update. We're adding the following things in the next release. We're adding server meshing, pyro, jump tunnels. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and by the way, it's now 4.0, and it's going to Ivacati tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a Chris Roberts comes on camera. And, and, and Chris and, Roberts comes on camera yeah. and says, we're vindicated. Yeah. <laughs> Who's saying scam now, buddies? Mm. <laughs> so, and, so, and even then, you're going to see Twitter... You know, Twitter articles being like, oh, Star Citizen finally releases after, after 11 after years. Yeah. You know, they, the haters going to hate. At some point, they will be the mother of all roadmap updates and it'll yeah. happen right before yeah. an Eva Cotty on a release. Okay. Cause I've been, I've been in my back of my brain, I've been, I've been thinking about something like that. Like, like the back of my brain, it's been 319, the, the Citizen Con, because Chris Roberts is a showman. So, Anything that can be delayed to 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 to, to, uh, to, to CitizenCon will probably be delayed, and yeah. uh, something to the effect of like I've been talking about salvage, which is like I, I'm sure salvage is good, and I'm sure it'll get close to being finished, and someone will go, yeah, but it could go to CitizenCon, and we could make it a little bit better if it goes to CitizenCon, <laughs> and everyone will be like, yeah, we we really want to make sure it's really good and good for the. No one's going to say we're going to delay it for CitizenCon because it'll look better. But that'll it'll always just go. But we could use some more time to polish it. We could use a little bit more time to work on it. And it's it's that close, possibly. In my head, that's what I'm uh, what I've what I've what I've figured. And Chris Roberts would never, if he if he could if he could manage it, he would never p- pass up the idea of standing up on a uh, on a citizen con stage and saying server meshing and pyro is now in PTU. Yeah, you know. yeah. I mean, they, 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 I mean, that, frankly, it deserves that kind of yeah. you know speculation. Yeah, they'll, they'll be having that planning conversation, and Chris Roberts is going to be sitting there. He's going to slam down a shot of tequila. And he's going to like, "Fuck it, we will do it live." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, and, and I'm suspecting the same thing about Squadron Forty Two. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if they could come up and show a live running subsection of squadron 42 or announce it's gone to beta or something mm-hmm. oh they would love to do that at a citizen con mm-hmm. um but again you, you can't they've, they've they've been chastised too much for promising what they can't deliver and so i don't yeah. think they're you know as much as it would be fun and exciting to do it at a citizen con i think they have learned from past experiences do not show up at citizen con with a sandworm yeah yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. Um, that makes yeah, sense. Th- I have to say, like, this year's CitizenCon was a little bit more tame with, with the demos and everything. I, th- I think they have finally learned. Uh, right. I think, but uh, they, they, they haven't. They look like they have. Uh, let's... But, but, but hey, it's in Los Angeles. I'm gonna. <laughs> it's a it's a freeway drive. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, I'm, I I know, it is. I no longer live in in California. I live in Texas. So otherwise, mm. when I when it was last in L.A., I lived in San Francisco. So it was just like like hey, I, I can. It's an eight hour drive and and a, and a hotel visit. I don't have to get on a plane. So um, all right, let's move on to the last. I guess the last topic because we're kind of running out of time here for this for this first section. Which is, I guess, we'll just talk about quantum because I know you you've talked talk about quantum. I want to talk about quantum. I'm sure Space Coder wants to talk a little bit about quantum. How big is it that quantum is being added into this 317 patch? Space Coder, we'll start with you, then we'll move on to Ray. It's huge. I mean, it, it doesn't do much right now. It, the only mm-hmm. thing it's actually changing right now is the the cost of ship services. Uh, okay. But when you think about it. That's just their way of testing the supply-demand model and the supply-demand simulation in Star Citizen. And eventually, that's going to branch out and it's actually going to start affecting commodity prices. It's going to start affecting security activity. It's going to start affecting your pirate encounters. Uh, and I think this initial implementation is just kind of their way of like slowly like dipping their toes into how it's going to work, how it's going to interact with the players. Because right right now, I don't think players can actually change the behavior of quantum that much. I think they CAG have purposefully restricted this because players, if if players could affect it, they it would immediately break. If players knew, if players knew where it was, they would break it because we break the break things because we're players. That's what we do. (laughs) But you know, it's an important first step in kind of delivering that simulation experience, that that living universe that we were promised so long ago. And actually, just just seeing the technology come online after Tony Z was talking about it, just seeing that come online, that's exciting for me. Plus, they they do it in C sharp. I'm a C sharp developer, uh, so maybe in like a year and a half or something, I'm going to apply for a job at CIG again. <laughs> there you go. Uh, right or uh, Dan, good. I've had. I, I frankly, I'm in the process. I've already recorded the voiceover and. I'm editing the video for something about the player experience of Quanta in uh, 3.17. And the fact is, if you don't know what you're looking for, you have no idea what you, you know, how to see anything. One, the one way in which players, I believe, might be able to affect Quanta is that in 3.17, we had a lot more of these combat assistance missions. And I think they're being generated because a Quanta... Uh, a, a trader Quanta runs across a pirate Quanta, and that, that generates the mission. So it might be, however, we have no real way of knowing that if people start taking a lot of those missions, they'll pacify a section and prices might go down. But that's the, my main thing. My main trouble with all of Tony Zurovic's talk is that there's very little consideration of how the players see this. So, for example, it affects the price of gas, of uh, quantum fuel. But I can call up Google Maps and say gas stations. It's going to show me a map and what the price of unleaded gasoline is everywhere around me. You don't have that. Not even, not even anything that simple. It's not even that you can drive by, you know, uh, a station with a little signs. Yeah. And there'll be a sign up front <laughs> saying quantum, $6. You can, um, you know, one way in which quantum shows up that you can kind of measure is that if you're a star fare, there's an auto price button. Mm-hmm. And 
if you click that auto price button, it'll give you pretty much a different price every single time. So something, some wheels are turning around and behind the scenes that is setting that price. But if you wanted to go someplace else to get a better price, you have no way of knowing. Um, similarly, it affects the price of repairs and repairs will cost you a lot more in 3.17, just you know, warning folks about that. But there's no way that you can see what this repair to your ship is gonna cost at L1 versus at Virginie Point. Uh, you, the only way to know is go there, land, click the button and then see how big the damages are. But you're not gonna be taking your uh, damaged ship from station to station to station to see who's gonna give you the best price on repairs. So there is very, very little right now that is user facing about Quanta. And I think, from, I think that's something we'll have, you know, it, that we will see in the future. But not. But has anybody talked about it? Tony Z has these talks, but he never mentions, he shows all these great tools that, that they're using to, to see what the quanta are doing, but he never talks about how we are going to see what is happening, why the, the economy is dynamic. And unless players can actually see what's going on, where the hot spots are, where the cold spots are, where the expensive spots are, where the cheap spots are, from their standpoint, it might as well be a random number generator. Yeah. I mean, if I land and then find out what the price of uh, damages are, price repairing the damages, does it matter really to me if there's like 100,000 bots running around in the background figuring out what the price should be or if it's a random number generator? Really, from a player standpoint, it's pretty much the same. It just feels, you know, it could be a random number generator. So there's a, there's a lot of work, whether it's done by Tony Z and his team or by someone on the UI user experience team, which actually might be the better people for it to actually think about how do you make this dynamic living, breathing economy understandable as a decision support system to the players. Okay. Yeah. Cause, cause I, mean, we I say this on every show, CAG, yeah. we need an API for this data. <laughs> if you give me a case of beer, I'm going to make it my own damn self. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Somebody will, but, but then you've got situations where you have to leave the game in order to, to, to play to the game, which is, yeah. which is not, which is not the immersion they're looking for. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say? Um, there's, 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 there's two conflicting sides that I've seen at CIG about this, which is one, they don't want players to know real-time, up-to-date information about commodities because they don't want players to know that um, in, in the far-off system four systems away, that that, that the quantum price, you know, quantanium price is high while they are in where they are because, you know, at real time up to date because of, you know, information lag. They want to build an information lag for things like data running. But at the same time, people will just build tools to do that if you don't, even if it's just point a camera at the, at the, at the trade terminals, you know. <laughs> um, right. But at a minimum, you should be able to do what you can do in Google Maps. Yeah. You know, yeah. say gas stations and see what the price of unleaded gasoline is around. Or Google repair costs and, have, you know, show all the dots and what the uh, regular cost of um, repairs are there. Now, if they want to say you, within Stanton, you can't do that for pyro, that makes sense. Because, you know, if there, the, that information does have to take a while. Um but you, you, from a fun standpoint, if, if you don't provide them that um, in the game, they're going to do, they're going to find some way of doing it out of the game. Mm -hmm. 
Um, do you think? But I mean, you can always have kind of the option for players. You know, obviously, you can do it two ways. You can have, you can see this information. Let's say you can see information about prices of commodities, prices of fuel, prices of rebel. But let's say that the price of the adjacent system that you see is off by X amount of percent. And if you go one system further, that price is even further off. So yeah, it might be cheaper, but there is, you know, give or take 20% on that price. Or alternatively, you can say, oh, you can't see the price, but hey, you can pay... I don't know, a thousand credits for information about price that's this old. And that kind of creates options for data runs because you can say, oh, download trade data from Stanton, you fly over to Terra and you sell the trade data there and you're going to earn some money. And then people are going to be able to buy that information. You know, that way you have information and you also protect data running. Well, I guess. beyond that though, but if you're in Stanton and you're looking at you know, fuel prices in pyro, by the time you get to pyro, those fuel prices are going to have changed anyhow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there, there's already an information lag in that the, the prices you're going to see at the other end aren't the prices you're seeing right now. Yeah. Because that, that too will be affected by, by quanta. And that, that's actually one of the good, good things about quanta is that uh, things will and should be. But it needs to be presented to it. Really, the, the first game I ever played that had a really good decision support system in it was Railroad Tycoon 2. It, yes. I mean, that's how long. <laughs> you yes. may, I don't know, did you, did you play Real World Tycoon yeah. 2? But you had this map and it was, you know, you, you could look at the continent and it was shaded from green to red to yellow based on the prices. And there were little green triangles for the points of demand, uh, sources of supply, red triangles with points of demand. And how tall they were was how much um, uh, the size of demand. Then there were little box cars that represented the actual current movement of things. And you could take one look at it and say, that's where I need to run my railroad. And they need to have something like that where you can call it up, look at the demand, high prices, you know, supplies, and say, that's where I need to run my cargo ship. Okay. So so effectively what you're saying is what they have with, like, the commodity, the journal, the commodity journal updates, but just, like, in an app. Oh, the uh, – well, the problem is with the, uh, the commodity price index is that it's this unsorted list. Yeah. And it's, it's really hard to look at it and get any sort of a – conceptualization about what's really going on. Yeah. Um, and, there's a, and there's a particular problem with it, at least as of 3.17p, as far as fuel, fuel prices are concerned. And that is that the, signif- the first significant di- digit is the thousands, and mm-hmm. they round it to the hundredths. So it's mm-hmm. like you'll see six places with, let's say they're giving away fuel for free, 0. 0.00. Yeah. When in fact, the real price is like 0. 0. 0.004 or 0. 0.003. And it's, it's just rounding it down, whereas a place right next door that says it's 0.01 might actually be 0.00, you know, something that, you know, six that rounds up to 0.01. So they, that's just, that's just careless. They should have mm-hmm. ch- changed the units of measure. They uh, ch- ch- changed some uh, decimal yeah, point. Yeah. Make a, <laughs> make a price, make a, make a, make a price per thousand. That's all you have to do. But, you know, the fact that that sort of thing is happening is just that there's not a whole lot of attention being given mm-hmm. to how all this, this massive, complex um, engine of bots results in something that players can play with. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. it's nice that we have this fancy, super advanced simulation, but it's unclear how we can interact with it and how it actually 
how we can view the massive because this simulation it generates a massive amount of data. That's that's mm-hmm. the whole point of quantum to generate data. But there is no way for us as players to view that data and and to create our and our own takeaways from that data to see what is the demand what's the you know what's the supply what's the demand where to go to do what and that's something that we're that i think we're gonna have to wait for a very very long time because they first have to get quantum to a point where they're happy with the functionality and they're happy with the data it's generating and then they can pivot to try and figure out a way to present that data to the player and until then we're just gonna have to figure out our own ways to yeah. to do that. But, but think about the number of videos we've seen of Tony Z describing quantum, what's going on behind the scenes, and how little we've heard about anyone talking about what they're coming up with, whether it's Tony Z or someone else, yeah. about how they're going to present that to us in front of the scenes. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, we definitely need, I mean, I, I'm one of those people who's like, if you look at the mobile glass, it's ancient. Like, I'm, I'm, I have a request that I want the mobile glass to be as useful as my phone. I can take my phone and move applications away from the home screen, move it into different folders and those sorts of things. If I pull up my mobile glass, I should immediately be seeing the only things that I care about in terms of applications because I don't care about uh, where all my stuff is. It's not something I'm going to look at on a regular basis, but I should be able to have like my bank account and be able to send money, you know, uh, my, my inventory or my personal inventory or, or context, mission details. I should be able to customize that at least a little bit. And I think, I think that's honestly probably one of the problems is that we don't even have a really functioning mobile glass yet for what the game will need, let alone the like the quanta information, because that's its own. That's that's an economy simulator. Because you're right, it no one cares if you have a bunch of bots running in the background until that those bots affect gameplay. So the key is to take the how do you take this cool technology and turn it into gameplay rather than just something that Tony Z can win an award for at a GDC. You know. Um, <laughs> Well, and I don't want to minimize the yeah. usefulness or the sophistication of econometric modeling. My my brother-in-law would, you know, beat me up if I did that. <laughs> no, I, it's 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 great, and what he's doing is not. I would say it's important for people to remember to, to know that what what Tony Z is doing is not something that's new. Economists and and computer engineers have been doing stuff like this since the eighties, since before that since they did it on, on punch cards. Like, it's something that they've been wanting to do for a long, doing for a long time. The difference is, is that Tony Z is taking a lot of the technology and going, feed it into a video game. What's going to happen? You know, which has not really <laughs> right. been done before because nobody cares about, in, the, if, in that sort of universe, if, I, I'd imagine there's not a lot of crossover between, you know, I'm, I'm an economics teacher, so I know a lot <laughs> the of- The way you could <laughs> describe it is, yeah. let's make a video game for our economy simulator. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know, and, and basically, econometric modeling has, has boiled down to a- algebraic, basically, mm-hmm. solutions that just use formulas. And then this kind of simulation model, which just use a large number of, um, of bots. And uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's very sophisticated what he's doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, ultimately, we need to be able to play with it. Yeah. It needs to be a game. Yeah, you know, he has to – they have to figure out a way to turn this technology – 
this service into into value for players because right you know it uh, it, it does have value to us in in a behind the scenes sense and it's going to have a lot of that value but we also need to find value that's going to be you know on the scene value that we're going to be interacting with features mm-hmm. information that kind of stuff and what am i drinking uh, it's called uh, it's called bitter lemon i think okay <laughs> well we this is this has been a fantastic conversation i hate to to end it because i'm sure we could all sit here and talk about this for hours um but uh, let's uh i would wrap... have to get drunk for that yeah <laughs> let's <laughs> let's wrap up the discussion we need to have a spike to... our lemonades <laughs> Let's, let's wrap up the discussion, move on to the question and answer session. So I'm going to wrap up the video. Thank you. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you for watching. Um, make sure that you are following and subscribing to, uh, to Ray's Guide and Space Coder. Make sure you check out the Armory. Uh, make sure that you is, – is it, is it YouTube.com slash Ray's Guide? Is that what it is? Uh, it's, it's a channel on, on YouTube. So just search for Ray's Guide. Once Ray's you're in the YouTube, YouTube interface, it should, should pop it up right up. I'll have the link in the description for those of you on YouTube. Yeah. So. Um, and uh, – if you want to join us live and ask your own questions as we move on to the question and answer session, we do this live every Saturday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern, 11 p.m. GMT, uh, well, 11 p.m. UTC. And you can come join us live as well. Um, and yeah, like I say every time, hope to see you someday in the black. <laughs>